You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. The work that we did at the trade deadline, uh, because it really set us up well for the offseason. The draft capital that we have, uh, the young players that we have, the young core that we're building. This offseason is, is pivotal for us. Uh, it's important in terms of development and as we grow our philosophy on the floor and off the floor. But we also have, we're also in a stronger and better position uh, than when we were a year ago. Uh, Gerson Rosas, his birthday today, by the way. Happy birthday to Happy birthday, friend, yeah. President of young Basketball man. Operations. Gerson Rosas, and I have a radical idea for you guys. Not political, I promise. I have an idea that can help the Timberwolves and can help the NBA. All right. And we're going to get to a scoop. We're going to get the lowdown on the Twins' first-round draft pick, but we're going to thank Federated Insurance here before we dive into anything because Federated has been here helping business owners in and around the Twin Cities for over a century, based in Owatonna, Minnesota. And we've got even... We've got even more restrictions being lifted from businesses now. It's just been a wild three-month period. And so if you're a business owner, it helps so much to have that peace of mind and that frontline protection that Federated offers. Federated is committed to standing by local business owners. And the peace of mind that comes with putting your trust in a company rated A-plus for its financial strength is immeasurable. You business owners in the Twin Cities are our community partners, our neighbors, our families, and our friends. And when you need Federated, Federated is here to help. Visit federatedinsurance.com or call your local marketing representative to access trusted resources you may need. At Federated Mutual Insurance Company, it's our business to protect yours. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. These two guys have Minnesota sports flowing in their veins. Mackie and Judd on Score North and scorenorth.com. And we were also able to see what some of these guys were capable of. You know, I mean, you look at a guy like Nas, who definitely wouldn't have gotten that type of opportunity if Carl was still playing. You know, he got great experience. Uh, you look at Jarrett. You know, Jarrett shot almost 38% from three in February and March. You know, so so he, he, was, he was coming along in, in a number of ways. And that's why, once again, summer is going to be big as we are able to break down shots and really try to help these guys with that. But, you know, you also, you're able to see just the fact that Carl Carl was out. Um, you know, we wish he was playing. But we were able to see um, what some other guys were capable of as well. Joe, what was that segment we used to do a few years ago where you we would just throw it to you to fix different things in sports? Mr. Fix-It? Was it just called Mr. Fix-It? I don't rem- I don't remember the, the name. I just recall I did a really good job of fixing things, and people didn't right. listen enough. It was like once every two weeks, we would throw it to Judd to fix a sport, to fix a yep. team. Judd was Mr. Fix-It here. By the way, it's more necessary now than ever, so help. It is, yes. So I want to take the Mr. Fix-It uh, plunger. I don't know. Like, What does Mr. Fix-It hold in his... If Mr. Box, Fix-It right? was a logo. He's got a toolbox. He's got a, to- a toolbox? Sports toolbox. I envisioned him more as a plumber for some reason. Oh, no, no, no. I was never a plumber. Okay. No. So, toolbox. Toolbox is as far as I can go, and that's probably a stretch. I have an idea for the NBA, and I have an idea that would actually benefit, if it were in play right now, would benefit the Minnesota Timberwolves. And I want to run this by you guys. So, I, I, I think when the NBA came out with its proposal last week, and it sounds like everyone agrees on, and it's just a matter of, coming up with logistics for testing and 
some of the players are upset about Orlando being the location, and there's some different things they have to iron out. Shockingly, COVID-19 is spiking up higher in Florida. I know. I know. Never could have seen that coming people, in Florida. People on beaches and stuff. And so they're, they're trying no, to figure out about. some of that stuff. But right. So I finally dove into, I was kind of curious, all right, what it, so why 22 teams? What happens to the other eight teams? What, what are they doing? And so I'm just going to read this brief summation from the ringer, and then I'm going to present my idea to you guys. So the ringer uh, lays it out after the conclusion of the eight game ramp up. So 22 teams come back. There are going to be 16 playoff teams. And so they're going to play an eight game regular season ramp up. Then it'll be time for the play in pilot, which about three quarters of the league's general managers supported in a recent survey. According to both Shams and Woj, if the team seated ninth in each conference ends the season more than four games out of the eight spot, the team in eighth will make the playoffs. So if you're the eight seed and you have more than a four-game lead on the nine seed, you're just in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. This would be like if in baseball they have the wild card playing game. If they said, all right, it's a wild card playing game, unless wild card team number one has like 100 wins and wild card team number two has like 88 wins, sure. in which case we're just going to give it to wild card team number one. So if, if seed number nine is within four games, there will be a playoff between the two teams. The nine seed would have to beat the eight seed twice. In order to make it in, the eight seed would need to just win one game, and then they would get into the playoffs. So that provision seems aimed at addressing the concerns of players like Damian Lillard, who told Yahoo Sports he doesn't want to come back and play in games that didn't include a meaningful pathway to actually earning a postseason berth. So in this case, and I haven't looked at the standings here, but the Blazers wouldn't have to come up and get equal with the eight seed. They would just have to pull within four games of the eight seed, and then they could play a play-in game to get there. And so 14 teams make the playoffs automatically, and then four teams are involved in a play-in if it's within four games. And so here's my plan to you guys. Here's my Mr. Fix-It, okay? All right. I would do two things. I would make the play-in game an annual thing, and I would strip away the within four games part. I would just say seven teams get automatic bids into the playoffs, and the last spot is up for grabs between the eight and the nine seed. And I don't care if there's 10 games gap between the two. There, there really never is. But those two and teams. And you're making it a one game? Uh, I would, I would, that's, I, that'd be up for debate. I would probably make, if, if it was more than a four game gap, I think yep. you could then say, all right, now the nine seed has to beat the eight seed twice. Because I, I, I would listen to that debate. I believe that the way they're going, going to do it this year in the bubble is if um, team eight beats team nine in the first game, the series is over. I believe Team 9 has to beat Team 8 twice. Yes, that's correct. So so they do have it with a little bit more of um, incentive yep. for being that 8 team. And so I think what you could do is, like, so this is a thing going forward, yep. and if it's a four-game gap, then the 9 seed has to prove itself and beat the 8 seed twice. Okay. So, so I, would, I would make that a regular thing. It's fun. It creates drama at the outset of the playoffs, just like baseball has now. And the NBA playoffs don't normally heat up until, like, the second or third round. The first round, like, you might get a couple series that are fun, but... Right. It's mostly the, the the eight seed almost never beats the one seed. But here's the fun thing that I would add, okay? And the Timberwolves are involved in a group of teams, the eight teams that are left out. And right now they're trying to figure out, hey, I mean, can we at least do like a summer league? Or like we've got these eight teams that are left out mostly have. Except for Golden State, which said, peace out, we're done. Right. Golden <laughs> we're done until like, December. Yeah, Steph Curry. We'll be fine. Ain't coming Don't back. Don't worry about year. us. So these other teams are trying to figure out, all right, what can we do to get some work in? What can we do to to get our young players more reps? What I would do is, so I would take 
everything that we just laid out, 14 teams make the playoffs. The other four teams, the eight and the nine seeds, play for a playoff spot. So that's 18 teams that are playing for the playoffs, right? The other 12 teams, I would create a 12-team single elimination draft lottery bracket. And the winner of that tournament gets the number one overall pick every single year. So you take the 12 worst teams in the NBA. Yep. And instead of rewarding the teams that are tanking the most and are the worst and have garbage teams and unwatchable products, yep. you reward. To, so you're definitely taking the worst teams, but you're rewarding the best of the worst. And they earn the number one overall pick by winning what I would call, I guess, the NBA NIT, if you want to call it that. What does the regular season look like as far as games played if you if we're going to do this? Well... You'd only be adding like what's a a twelve team bracket? That's basically what the NFL has had up until the expansion here. And single like, single limb, single limb. So it's like it's like an eleven game tournament, right? So and I'm all for bringing four, regular four. season games down. By the way, I don't know if I, I, I honestly I'm all for I don't know decreasing if, from eighty two. I don't know if this would require reducing the regular season. It could. Mm-hmm. You could shave it down to like seventy or seventy five or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I'm saying is instead of telling the other 12 teams to just go home and sit around for two months, those 12 teams would enter into a 12-team playoff with the award at the end being the number one overall pick. So you imagine like in these seasons where LeBron, where you know LeBron's going to go number one or you know that Zion's going to go number one or mm-hmm. even Carl Anthony Towns is going to go number one. Okay. Instead of teams stumbling all over themselves to put out a crappy, unwatchable product for the hope of getting the top lottery spot, you'd have teams competing to build rosters that can either make the playoffs or, if they don't make the playoffs, are ready to win that tournament to get that player. What do we do if a team makes a trade and trades an unprotected pick and then is in that tournament, but let's say they have moved their pick to Brooklyn, which is a playoff team? Say that again. Let me let me let me fill in the last gap, and then maybe this answers your question. Okay. So I would take those. So those twelve teams play for the number one pick. Mm-hmm. The number one pick goes to the winner of the tournament, and mm-hmm. then the other eleven teams would then just be slotted in a lottery like normal right. for picks two through eleven. But if I traded, but if I I make a trade where eventually the draft pick ends up being unprotected, and my team continues to suck and suck and suck. And so now I'm the Hawks, and I'm going to lose my first-round pick to the Lakers. And I get slotted into this tournament. I have no incentive to actually play well. You could also just get rid of these, like, protected, unprotected picks. It's the only sport that has. Does hockey have that? I think basketball is the only they sport They have provisions on picks. It's conditional, yeah. Okay. Yeah, there, there's provisions on picks. But, but you can't stop teams from trading first-round draft picks. That's the problem. So, so like, right. if, if you strip that off immediately and, and said, oh, okay, if you trade your first-round pick, it's gone the year that you committed to, instead okay. of saying protected so, for three years and then unprotected. So what you're saying, so just to have a real-world example here, what you're saying is, let's say the Timberwolves traded their first-round pick yes. to the Lakers. Yes. For whatever reason. And now they're in this tournament you're talking about, which, and by so, the way, sounds like fun. So they're playing They're playing essentially on behalf of the Lakers. Correct. To get that number of picks. And then they're tanking per- on purpose in this tournament because they see no need to really yeah. be there. Yeah, I don't... That's the uh, one thing that... Because the, the idea sounds like fun. Well, what if I like you, the idea. I mean, the other thing you could do is the teams that represent those picks... The, the, the Lakers you, could double dip. The Lakers could play in both tournaments. Hey, hey LeBron, you're in the playoffs, <laughs> but you're also in this NIT because we're playing for the first overall pick. So you've you've discovered a flaw in uh, a fly in my ointment here, and I don't know the answer to that. But 
I, I can tell you that it would also be fun, like for the Timberwolves this year, they traded for D'Angelo Russell at the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. And they have no, like they had no hope of making the playoffs. They were too far buried in the standings. But having something like this would actually encourage teams that are normally bad to maybe trade for a good veteran player to try and get them more ammunition to win the draft lottery tournament. Like the Timberwolves have no chance to make the playoffs, but they would have a very good chance to win this tournament and get the number one overall pick. So, um, but I don't know. Like I don't know how to answer your question about. All right, if if you've got of the 12 teams that are playing in this tournament, if yep. three of them have traded their first round picks, what's the workaround? Then what do you do? And maybe the answer there, maybe the answer there for protection is if it's a top 3 protected pick, you know, you're still you're still playing like if you get if you fight and you win the tournament and you get the number 1 overall pick, like right. you ha- you hang on to maybe all maybe all picks are protected. So you like can't it, trade your first round pick? I don't know. Cuz that, that would work your idea would work if you couldn't trade your draft picks or your first round Well, you, But you have to be able to trade your draft I picks. I understand that. So there'd have to be some sort of like, maybe the provision is, all right, like you get the first round pick, mm-hmm. but only after we get, we get to fight for the chance to win the number one overall pick. And then if we win the number one it overall pick. It sounds like pick, a fun idea. So if we win the number one like overall the pick, of, then we renegotiate what the trade would be because obviously the pick is more valuable. Yeah, you know we're not going to be giving you the number one pick if we, the, yeah. <laughs> I, li- I like it from the, the sense of the drama. And I will say this, perhaps the most fun Wolves game I've been to within the last, it might be 10 years, probably is 10 years. I know was, you're was more, not, more than 10 years. was not the playoff game against Houston. Uh, playing game. It was probably the Denver playing game. Yeah. The Denver playing game was great fun. Yeah. And, and was, was because those teams were so much more even was far more competitive. Like the Houston series was just like, okay, yeah, you know, you're not going to win this thing. That Denver game was probably a toss-up. Yeah. So I love the, I love where the thought is coming from. If, if you could clean up the trade problem, I think you might be onto something that would actually engage fans because your team might suck. But then if they're playing other teams that suck, it's okay because everybody stinks. I'd have to put more thought into the trade aspect. I think there, there'd almost have to be some sort of like, all right, we're trading you a first-round pick. But there's there's like a yellow light that says we okay we get to <laughs> yellow we're trading light. you a first round pick but all of these picks are protected if we were to win this tournament we get to hang on to that pick if right. not if we if we lose in the title game I mean it's okay. still like it's still right. these are still protected picks basically right you could you could right. still trade it, a top three protected it would pick be a or, problem it would be a problem the year that came up when the pick no longer could be protected yeah. Because th- those picks can be protected at times for what three, three years. So maybe multiple what it is, years is, we've seen them protected. For so a even time. an unprotected pick would still be protected if you win this tournament. So then, then there's even more incentive because think about that. Like, yeah. all right, we have an unprotected pick. Mm-hmm. The only way we get to keep it is if we win, the win this so damn tournament. Go, so oh, hopefully, you, hopefully you would do your damnedest to win that tournament. Yeah, so much fun. We could go back and see, like, in the year that the Timberwolves drafted Cat, would they have had any shot to actually win that number one overall pick? And the answer is probably no. I like the idea, though, for cutting down on tanking because it would definitely work. Or it should. I shouldn't say. I shouldn't say it will. It should work. Mr. Fix-It.
the Mr. Fix take It your, the Mr. Uh, Fix It tag team here. Take your uh, idea to the NBA. I'm sure that uh, Mr. Silver would love it. I will. I'll, e- I'll email him. I actually, I'll text him. Oh, he's got plenty him. of time. I've got him. He's got, got plenty of time. He's got, he's got plenty of time. Actually, I'll float it by Rob Manfred, see if he wants to do something innovative hey, for the first time ever. Unequivocally, we're having baseball this season. That's what he said. They unequivocally. Unequivocally. And they are. Four games. That's the, yeah, that, <laughs> that's the funny thing. Is for any, a half a week. Any dum-dum could tell you they're going to have... He's going to mandate them back to work at 48 games. Yeah. I can tell you this, unequivocally, there will be no baseball in the summer of 2022, too. Yeah. So con- congratulations. And watching that watching that stooge last night at the – it just made me want to throw up. I watched that basically the entire draft. I hate to admit it. But, you know, I, I wound up watching none of it. I, watched, I, I checked in when the when Are the you serious? The yeah, I watched uh, none of it. I watched, the, I watched the oh, pregame yeah. to it. You're sick in the head. No, I, I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna rip you for that. Actually, this is a good segue because we got to get to our first of two guests on the show. We'll get to a scoop with Doogie in about 15 minutes here. But uh, the Twins drafted the Bomba Squad, added one of the one of the one of the best power hitters in in all of college baseball last night. And we're gonna get the lowdown from his hitting coach in just a second. But let's talk about Luther Brookdale Toyota, 694 in Brooklyn Boulevard. Uh, they have some great deals right now on pre-owned Camrys and RAV4. 0% for 60 months on those vehicles right now. And hybrids have 0% financing as well. You can save some gas, save some money. They can help you do both. So, again, 0% on certified pre-owned RAV4s and Camrys and 0% on new hybrids as well. These people have been helping my family and I for 30-plus years on the corner of 694 and Brooklyn Boulevard 694 Brooklyn Boulevard and Luther Brookdale Toyota.com are the two places where you can find out more about, in my opinion, the best car dealership and service department in the Twin Cities. With the 27th pick of the 2020 MLB draft, the Minnesota Twins select Aaron Sabato, a first baseman from the University of North Carolina. They only set a major league record for home runs last year. Let's, Let's keep go get adding power. Aaron Sabato, one of the top first basemen in college baseball, off the board, large frame, huge raw power. Uh, rivals that of even Spencer Torkelson, who went number one tonight, draws comps to Pete Alonzo um, for his size. 2019 ACC Freshman of the Year honor, slugging 698, 25 home runs in 83 games across two seasons. I love how the Twins set a major league record for home runs, and they're like, all right, we could probably use some pitching upgrades, although that's not really how the baseball draft works. It's not, this is our immediate need, and right. so it's, it's in not the football. NFL. Take a quarterback. These dudes take like four years to incubate in the minors, but uh, Aaron Sabato for North Carolina the last two years. He hit 25 home runs in 368 plate appearances and slugged 700. So that's ridiculous. And uh, we tracked down his hitting coach and the associate head coach at North Carolina, Scott Forbes. Scott, thanks for joining the show, man. Great to be on. Excited for Aaron. Yeah, he. Uh, so we've obviously we've never seen him play on a day to day basis. You have worked very closely with him, and you have been. Uh, this is this is 19 years for you at North Carolina. You've been a college baseball coach for two decades. Uh, how would you evaluate Aaron Sabato as a major league prospect compared to some of the other guys that you've seen in your in your two decades coaching? Wow, I mean, we've had a lot of really good players, um, and you know, I talked to someone the other day with Go Heels about this, and the thing that separates Aaron in all my years is. Obviously, the power, as you guys you know, know how much power he has, but he's not just a power hitter. He's a complete hitter. He knows the zone. Um, he knows how to lay off pitches. And when he gets a mistake, which you have to be able to do when you get to the big leagues, 
Uh, you know, I talked to Kyle Seeger a lot. He played for us just to kind of pick his brain to how to help our guys. He always says you're going to get a you're going to get a mistake every at bat, but you can't miss it in the big leagues to have a successful career. And I think that's what separates Aaron Sabato is he will lay off pitches that are you know right there that most hitters would swing at, and then he'll get his pitch and then he'll do damage. How rare is that too for a guy that young to have that amount of ability to be selective at the plate? You know, he always has been able to recognize pitches. Uh, you know, when we recruited him, we saw that. But, you know, like anything, he gets pitched. He was getting pitched around quite a bit in summer ball. So he would go out of the zone occasionally. And he started to do that some his freshman year. And we had Michael Bush at the time who uh, Aaron's freshman year, Michael was a junior and he was a, a big prospect. He ended up being a first-round pick to the Dodgers. I think Michael just kind of talked to him about, hey, if you want to also hit for a high average, you've got to walk, especially in college baseball, because, you know, the umpiring in the big leagues is the best. And it's, it's good in college, but it's not the big league by any means. And being able to, to, to learn how to look at pitches and walk, you know, really helped him. And I think Michael, you know, you can credit that to Michael Bush to helping Aaron understand that. So, Scott, I, you know, I I personally love when because college baseball, I love watching college baseball on ESPN and SEC Network, and there's there are there are platforms ESPNU that that do show college baseball, but for the most part, casual fans don't really know a lot about high school and college prospects coming up, and so I think what helps us when you watch MLB Network and you watch some of the the different uh, comps and stuff being thrown out, it does help us to say, oh okay, this player if he pans out could be like this player. And the player that they're throwing out on MLB Network is Pete Alonzo. And, you know, I mean, Twins <laughs> Twins fans didn't see a lot of Pete Alonzo in his rookie year last year. But Pete Alonzo uh, is one of the best hitters in baseball. 53 home runs last year in his first season. And so when you hear comps like, boy, if, if, if Aaron Sabato pans out to the degree that he could, Pete Alonzo is the comp that some of these experts are throwing out. Yeah, and you know, the crazy thing... <laughs> about Pete Alonzo is he came to our camps when he was young. He ended up going to Florida. He's a Florida kid, but he wasn't a very highly recruited kid from the standpoint of, you know, he wasn't real fast and he was going to probably be limited to where he played, which was going to be first base. But the one thing Pete Alonzo, even way back, I remember watching him when he was 14, 15, 16, is he always got hit. He got hit to every part of the field and he, and he hit the ball over the wall where he hit doubles. And, I think that's a great comp because that's exactly what what Aaron's done. And he's done that for a long time. And the power, both of them power. We've, like I said, we've had some, some good players. But, man, I'm, I'll sit there and just sometimes watch Aaron take BP and just kind of stand there and be like, I, I may never coach a kid with that much raw power. That's impressive. Uh, so, so in your mind, Scott, where is the most room for improvement when it comes to Aaron's approach at the plate? You know, I think he's just going to have to continue to work on, you know, staying within the zone and not getting antsy because he can really, really hit. And pitchers are going to know that, and they're not going to – they're going to try not to make those mistakes. So he's going to have to take his walks. But he also, at times – is going to have to be aggressive, you know, talking to some of our guys 
like Chris Ionetta's and the Kyle Seegers is sometimes, you know, if you get a pitch up in the zone and if it's not exactly where you want it, but you can still do some damage RBI wise, you know, I'm going to go ahead and do that. But he, he, uh, he, he's a baseball junkie. I mean, he helps our guys become better hitters. So he will pick a, he will find somebody in that organization that he feels like is really, really good. He'll try to be around them and pick their brains. I'm sure. Most impressive home run that in your time coaching him you saw him hit <laughs> give me a story you know what i tell you what there was a home run i can't remember who we were playing but the ball went what i thought i was coaching third base i thought the ball went pretty much directly straight up in the air for like a normal fly ball to center field and we're all watching it it was against xavier i think his freshman year we're all watching it and the wind's pretty normal and we're like, that ball is still going. It's still going, and all of a sudden, it's opposite field halfway up the net. And, you know, that just doesn't happen. And I got the launch angle and all the stuff that we have out now, you know, so you could get the long angle, the launch angle, the exit velocity. All I knew was, like, that ball was hit so high, I, I didn't think it had any chance of going over the wall. And that was, like, the first weekend series of his freshman year, and we were all just kind of in awe. You know, after you tell that story and after we hear the Pete Alonzo comps, uh, I don't even know if I care about the answer to this question, but can he feel a little bit at first base? I mean, he doesn't even need to bring a you glove know, if he's going to hit 50 bombs. <laughs> I don't really care. Man, if he can hit, he, he can. Um, and that's another thing. You know, we had Michael Bush, who was a really like a gold glove first baseman. And we were able to play Michael last year, which was Michael's junior year in left field a lot because Aaron showed he could play first base at a high level. He actually has a really, really good glove, which is, you know, very, very important because he can pick the ball and save some some bad throws. And the thing about Aaron too is like, he he's not slow, and he's more athletic. You look at him and he's just a real thick kid. He's a pretty good athlete, and he can score from second. He's not a base clogger. So I think if he, you know, if he will, if he gets older, if he'll take as much pride in his defense and the practice practice at the level he needs to because you don't have to worry about him doing that offensively when you're young you know these kids they don't quite spend the time they probably need to defensively I think he could be really good over there well I can tell you there's a guy that that roams around twin spring training by the name of Justin Morneau that had ping pong paddles for hands as a rookie and became one of the best first basemen defensively and obviously offensively in the league so uh, there are there are definitely some people on the current roster and in and around the organization that can uh, that he can partner up with yeah, no question. Man, y'all have had some good ones. and I've always followed the Twins extremely close because when I was coaching a long time ago, I coached at Winthrop University, and we had a pitcher named Kevin Slowey. Ah, yes. And uh, Yeah, yeah, just tons of strikes. And I mean, heck, when he got to our place, he was like 83, 85, and he made it to the big league. Such a great story. And ever since then, you know, I've always followed closely and, and been a fan. Yeah, Kevin Kevin Slowey had a couple really good seasons with the Twins uh, in like the early 2010s. So, hey, we really appreciate the insight. Scott Forbes, he's the uh, associate head coach and, and hitting coach for North Carolina. And sounds like the Twins have a, a pretty darn good prospect here with their first-round pick last night in Aaron Sabato. Scott, thank you so much, man. Thank you guys for having me. Have a great day. Appreciate it. You too. So, yeah, I mean, there's so many guys that, profile as you know Pete Alonzo there's they showed a graphic I saw come across Twitter last night and I can't remember which pick it was but they literally put like 
one of these prospects' exit velocities and launch angle stats up next to the comp that was Mike Trout. It's like, oh, all right. Yeah. So, like, Pete Alonso hit 53 bombs in his first year as a big leaguer, which they is comped, ridiculous. They comped, I think, and I don't know if they kept doing this in the supplemental round, but they comped every single player, I think, last night who was drafted. Yeah. And they, and they kind of have to do that to sure. relate it to people. because. But yeah. I'm just saying, but they didn't comp them to someone who stinks. Right. <laughs> That'd you know, be funny, though. You know, this is... And yeah, Aaron Sabato, a lot like Chris Parmalee. Yeah. yeah so, <laughs> so what's the comp here? Well, I would say it's a combination of uh, Brian Boucher and you know, I mean, and it's like Chris Colabella. Yeah, yeah, and I. Oh my god! You know, but no, I mean, I I like the fact that a guy who was was hired in Derek Falvey because of his expertise in pitching is putting on a tutorial about the fact that even he, considered to be a very smart pitching mind, right? In in four first rounds with Derek Valvey in charge, the Twins have not taken a pitcher yet, and and I don't think that that's any type of mistake. I think yes. it goes back to what we talked about on the podcast on Wednesday, which is the amount of variables that go into trying to identify pitching. And by the way, you can get pitching, but knowing where you can get it and have the most success. So my theory on that is, and we kind of talked about this on yesterday's show, so there's so many different variables with pitching that you just can't control. Like, Aaron Sabato, he's not going to have Tommy John surgery. Like, maybe. I mean, Miguel Snow had Tommy John. But it's John, not but destructive. It's not going to derail your career. You're right. not going to have, like, a frayed labrum. Yep. You know, there's so many things with pitchers. And yep. also, like, pitchers sometimes just have mechanical issues or they uh, they can't develop a second pitch or a third pitch. Like, there's just so many things, even with top pitching prospects, that you have to worry about. And so, yes, you'd like your organization to be great at developing those guys. And the Twins, I think, have a much better process in place than they did five or ten years ago. But even as a great pitching development system, that like, look what the Twins have done the last few years. Tyler Duffy has become one of the best relievers in baseball. Taylor Rogers, like These guys were just random guys three mm-hmm. or four years ago. Mm-hmm. And now the Twins are pumping them out. But if you're, if you're looking at adding great valuable pieces to your organization either to come up and be a part of your team or more importantly as trade chips the ones that are the, that are the most valuable are the ones that like oh man this there's a double a hitter in brent rooker or trevor larnick and this guy has a a 950 ops yep. and like if you have six of those guys which the twins basically do like in terms of power bats right now they in got the minors a really good softball team developing they do it's <laughs> awesome They've got Kirloff, they've got Larnick, they've got Rooker, they've got other guys we haven't even talked about. They've and got Sano at first base right now. <laughs> right. So I think you know, if you stockpile guys like this, mm-hmm. you can trade two of them for an already established that's healthy exactly. pitcher yep. to add to your rotation. Yes. And I think that's part at of the, the thinking. At the deadline, when you need it. it. It makes perfect sense. Yep. It makes perfect sense, but but it's just, you know, for so many years, and, and I think one of the key reasons that eventually, besides the team stunk, but one of the reasons why uh, Terry and Bill Smith both got fired was because it's amazing when we go back through those drafts and the pitchers the Twins took high and how bad they were or or they they didn't surface. And so for these guys to basically come in, and, and, you know, I I think the day that Falvey got hired, our expectation was he's going to come in and draft pitching and he's going to get all all this pitching. No, the the recipe is what you just said. Hitters are much more sure things, and then and then eventually you take one or two of those guys, probably two, and spin them off for established pitching to put yourself over the top, potentially in a given season. Yeah. 
Amen. I think uh, I think the Twins would have been in a great spot had this been a normal season to trade some of those. I know, don't want to talk about prospects. what's going on here. Now the question for the Twins is: Let's say they come back and they play. I mean, if they play a fifty-game season, is there even going to be a trade deadline? If you know that four games in, if you know that your franchise is leaking. <laughs> hey, you've money, seen yourself for four games. Now it's the deadline. I mean, that's pretty much it. Like if they start the season on July, 10th, this is what I'm. This is what I'm talking about. Is there that. an August thirty-first trade deadline that? But even, even are then, you like going, the Twins aren't going to trade a bunch of prospects this, is what I was gonna, this year. That's exactly was going to be my question. All right, let's say it's a 48-game campaign, regular season, all right? Mm-hmm. And and let's say the deadline is the thir- 31st of August. And you got a pretty good team, and you knew that. But you're going after this short-season title. Are you going to potentially trade the assets that you would have traded in a 162-game season with the deadline being July 31st? No. Because I'm not. You're not for that reason, and and the more important reason being that you're probably going to have to say goodbye to some salary next year. You know, like the NFL is tough. For God's sakes, the NFL is is buoyed by all this national TV revenue, and the the NFL has a system set up where small markets like Green Bay can compete financially right. in terms of salary cap with New York and San Francisco. Baseball doesn't even like baseball doesn't have that. Each market is kind of on their own in terms of what their own TV deal is. There's some revenue sharing. So a team like the Twins, like whatever they're spending this year, 130, 140 million dollars, that's coming down next year. Yeah. I don't even want to if you're a Twins fan, consider this perspective too. 2020 we know now for sure is screwed up. And if you have a strike in 22, think about the years that are passing now with, and the Twins have some young players who are going to develop. So I'm not saying that they're sunk, but just think about this five-year period that in March, but before March 12th, we thought that we were about to enter into with maximizing potentially young and probably just as importantly old uh, for 2020, 2021, 22 there's a fighting chance now. The only one of those, hopefully, seasons that we're actually going to get in their entirety where it means something is 21. That just sucks. Other than that, baseball's in a great spot right but now. But think about baseball's that. But, great. But why couldn't, I the, love baseball. why couldn't this have happened in 2011 or 12 when Twins fans would have been like, oh, okay, they're not playing. Yeah. I'm fine with that. If, it, it, that's another alternate reality. If this happens in 2011, bilateral leg weakness never happens. Joe Maurer's career never gets tainted like that. This is true. So, all right, let's let's uh, let's get right into it here with Doogie here in uh, in a moment after we talk about PodMN. So PodMN is a place to discover local podcasts. And you can rack up rewards by listening to your favorite local podcast, whether it's our Score North podcast, other sports podcasts around the Twin Cities. Download the PodMN app for Apple, or you can get, uh, get it in the Google Play Store, too, if you have an Android device. Uh, PodMN is, uh, is new as of a few months ago, and it's just a great discovery place for local podcasts. Woo! All right, it's scoop time here. Our friend Darren Doogie Wolfson. There we go. If I punched him up right. Uh, Doogie, we just we actually just got off the phone with Scott Forbes, the associate head coach and hitting coach for North Carolina, to uh, to get a full download on Aaron Sabato, the Twins' first round pick. So that that's from the North Carolina side, and he raved about him. Uh, we brought up the Pete Alonzo comps, and and he had worked a camp with Pete Alonzo in high school, and so he said, yeah, I mean, at his upside, he's going to hit bombs. He's going to hit, you know, he's going to hit for some average too. What have you kind of heard from the Twins side of things about? You know, they, it's funny because for, for a franchise and organization that prides itself on pitching development, they've been very, very bullish on power-hitting position players early in drafts, Doogie. They really like them, Phil. Good morning, by the way. Hello, Judd. Yeah, I was going back and forth with a couple Twins officials last night. 
they locked in on him going back multiple days. And I sort of had a hint that they might go that direction when I saw Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo in their final mock draft mock him to the Twins. More than any other draft pundit, the Twins are in touch with those guys. So you can talk about Keith Law and others all you want. If you ever want to know what the Twins are really, really thinking, like eve of draft, day of draft, blocking on Callis and Mayo. So because those guys had Sabato going to the Twins, I thought, okay, there's definitely steam. He's represented by Jake Odorizzi's agent. Signability will not be an issue. I had one Twins official tell me that they think there's more upside than Brent Rooker. And Rooker, I think, is still a pretty good prospect. I don't know where you would rank him, Phil, on your prospects list. Maybe he's in that, like, he's an older guy. But I think he's, like, in that, what, 7 to 12-ish range, maybe? You know, so I think they think there's more upside than Rooker. And I still think Rooker, maybe it's not here in Minnesota. Maybe he's an eventual trade chip. But I do think Brent Rooker is a major league hitter. I don't know necessarily what position he plays. You know, he's played some outfields, but I don't know if Rooker has a position. Maybe he's more a DH. But I do think Rooker's bat eventually plays in the majors. The Twins official that I went back and forth with late last night said, we feel like he has more upside than Brent Rooker. Who plays where then? Uh, Brent, Larnick, and now Sabato. You've got Sano at first. You've got Kepler in right. And and as far as I'm concerned, Dukes, you are developing an A class softball team that's unbelievable and going to hit a lot of bombs <laughs> home run limit's going to be tough though you, that's a very it's just my swing, bro. My swing bro to do but but who who do you think ultimately plays where and and i guess just as importantly um who do you think gets moved potentially for pitching well and what about alex kirloff i mean isn't kirloff yeah, you're right. in that mix too Yes. So add him into the mix. Good point. I think Judd eventually they end up moving one of these guys for an arm. I don't know right now who that guy will be, but I do think they end up moving one of these guys. Now, I do know, you know, like going back to the Kirilov draft, that wasn't Sean Johnson as the lead guy. Sure, Sean had his fingerprints on that pick, but that was Darren Johnson leading that draft. You know, so maybe there's a little bit more bias you know, when it comes to Falvey and Levine and Sean Johnson being the guy, you know, when they when they go for a guy like Larnick, are they a little bit more married to Larnick than than Kirilov? But yeah, I think eventually some move happens where these guys end up playing though. If they end up staying here, I mean, you know, like is Nelson Cruz here in even a year? I don't think he's here in two years. Maybe he's here, but you know, in a in an off the field role sure. or a coaching role. I don't think he's in a playing role at 42 years old in a couple years. So, you know, the DH spot would be open. You know, you think about the corner outfield spots. Are you investing in Eddie Rosario long-term? You know, could Rosario eventually be a trade chip? His name has certainly come up over the years. You know, so I think they'll find a way, but I'm just saying, like, if you're asking me, like, if I had to bet right now, I think there's a a stronger chance that a guy like Warnick sticks here just because this regime was all over that draft. Doogie, the other news last night, just locally on the baseball scene, Max Meyer. I saw I, I saw Max Meyer pitch a little bit as a freshman, and he only you know the Gophers only played for like two weeks or whatever this season. So, um, but he pitched four times, was lights out, and showed enough to be. Was he third overall last night, Max Meyer? He was the first pitcher to go off the board. He Jeez. went number three, Phil, to the Miami Marlins. He's already agreed to a deal. The slot value for the number three pick is approximately seven point two million. He'll get a little under that which is fantastic, right? Like 
that's fine. So the Marlins will save a little bit of money, but he's still going to make millions upon millions of dollars. Good for him. Coming out of Woodbury High School, he was a 30th round or 34th round pick of the Twins. And to his credit, like he was a good prospect coming out of Woodbury High School, but he wasn't this elite prospect. It's not like he had all these offers to choose from. It's not like he could have gone to, you know, like a powerhouse like Vanderbilt or Florida or North Carolina. I mean, his options were pretty limited. Ends up with the Gophers. The velocity jumps. He throws it 99 now. The slider is a wipeout pitch. And, you know, like that to me is a good situation. Like I don't have intimate knowledge. Phil, I know you actually have some, some contacts with the Miami Marlins. I don't have intimate knowledge of their system, but I would just think that's an organization that you could climb relatively fast. No state income tax. Like, there's a lot to like. It's <laughs> a good point, Dukes. Being in Miami, being in the Marlins organization. So good for him, right? Like, he's now in the same breath. I asked him the question on a Zoom call last night. Like, he's now in the same breath as Dave Winfield, who went fourth overall in, what, 73? Yep. He's in the same Molitor, breath as Molitor, third. Molitor, who went third overall in, what, 77? 77. 77, yes, sir. You know, so you, like, you think about that. And the Gopher baseball program has been around for 132 seasons. Hmm. They've never had a pitcher go this high. So it is one heck of a story, especially when you consider that he's only six feet tall. Like, you just don't see a lot of pitchers that are only six feet tall go in the top five. I don't know what the draft was like in, like, the 1890s. Would they have conference uh, okay, call? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make my pick next. I'm uh, representing the New York Giants from the Polo Grounds. I'm calling from the basement of the Polo Grounds. I'd like to take a couple players. Uh, only one? Okay, I'll only take one. Dukes, uh, why did uh, J.D. Spielman, who certainly was an outstanding high school player coming out of Eden Prairie and went to Nebraska, why did he en- enter the transfer portal? And uh, do the Gophers have a chance at this kid who is a hell of a player? I'm, I'm a little bit surprised he's leaving. He is a hell of a player. I'm not necessarily surprised, Judd. He was a Mike Riley recruit. Mm. Scott Frost takes over. Mm -hmm. Let's just say that Frost and J.D., Frost and a lot of guys, just haven't gotten along. That Frost can be a bit of an ass. So I'm not surprised that he has decided to leave. Now, do I think there's mutual interest in landing with the Gophers, the Gophers having interest in J.D.? 100%. Do I foresee J.D. Spielman landing at the University of Minnesota? At this point, I don't. My understanding is Frost and J.D. had some sort of conversation where Frost said, I would prefer, I'll let you out of your scholarship, but I would prefer you don't land at a Big Ten school. My understanding is J.D., Dad Rick, that they said, okay. So I would be surprised. I know that, or at least I was told, that Rick and P.J. Fleck have had a conversation. You know, so they've, they've discussed all this. But I'm just telling you, my sense is he doesn't land at the University of Minnesota. Uh, Doogie, what else do you got? Empty the scoop bag for us here. Let's put it all on the table. Sure. Well, you've got, you know, if we're talking gopher sports, you've got Booth Gotch on the basketball side, the men's basketball side. He's the Utah Utes transfer, double-digit scorer in the Pac-12 last year. He's the Austin, Minnesota native. The Gophers are in daily contact. He has a final five. Of his final five, I would lock in on the Gophers and Iowa State. He wants to play on the ball. A mentor of his told me that Booth wants to play on the ball. Not exclusively on the ball. Maybe, you know, sort of like how the Gophers used Amir Coffee a couple years ago. That's the selling point. That's what Patino is selling to Booth. That, hey, we will use you like we used Amir Coffee 
a couple years ago. We will give you opportunities to be on the ball. Marcus Carr doesn't need to be exclusively on the ball. By the way, I think Marcus will be back. It's a matter of when, not if, that he announces he'll be back for another year with the Gophers, even though he's testing the NBA draft water. So the Gophers continue to work the, the Booth Gotch angle. I'm told he hired a really good attorney because that attorney will, you know, in, in Booth's mind, get him a waiver to be eligible immediately. Booth doesn't want to have to sit out. So I think, like, you look at his final five, Maryland, Auburn. I think if he transfers from Utah to Auburn, I think it would be hard to get a waiver. But if he transfers closer to home with the pandemic, now closer to home, by the way, you know, Iowa State is about the same distance. Maybe it's a half hour longer. But, you know, like you think Austin to Iowa State, Austin to Minneapolis, mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's, it's relatively close. So I think he could maybe get a waiver if he lands at Iowa State or here. But I do know he has a pretty good attorney working on his behalf. But just know that the Gophers are being relentless trying to land Booth Gotch. Uh, give, give us the highlights, what you took out of the uh, Timberwolves end-of-season Zoom call that they did on Wednesday. It was long. you know. It was I went back and watched early. it, indeed. Yeah, I mean, in hindsight, I wish they would have done, you know, everything when it comes to social injustice, racism, everything that organization is doing. I wish they had Rosas and Saunders talk about that days ago, then that the other day would have been exclusively basketball end of season instead of this thing turning into a 90-minute Zoom call. So, unfortunately, it was just too long. You know, I commend them for everything they're doing, you know, off the court, everything that, that Ryan and, and Gerson and the rest of the organization are pushing forward in terms of, of hopefully enacting change. On the basketball side, I guess Gerson not willing, still to this day, months later, willing to tell us what the heck is going on with Carl Anthony Towns' wrist. That was interesting. My understanding, yep. the way that, that, that I look at it and, and others look at it is that Carl hasn't given them the green light to tell the public what is going on. Mm-hmm. And I do think there's some fear there, that they fear that, that if they piss off Carl even just a slight bit, that at some point he is going to ask for a trade. So they are pretty much bowing at his feet. Whatever you want, Carl, we will do for you. So is, so it, is it? He doesn't want the, the word out. So my sense is he either had surgery or needs surgery, that the wrist is pretty bleeped up. But they won't say anything right now, and nobody close to Carl will say anything. But what is the – this is what I'm – this isn't like some novel new basketball – like, it's a wrist injury. All right, he might need surgery. Like, this is – he's an athlete. So what it, it almost feels like there's something more to all of this than just the wrist, but that's just complete speculation on my part. I mean, it's like an athlete got hurt, might need surgery. Like, you know, that happens every day. Across the world. And it's not like they're playing games. Now, they hope to play some competitive games at some point this summer. But, I mean, truth be told, those really won't be, like, highly competitive games. It's not like Carl needs to play those games. Carl needs to be ready for when next season starts. It looks like in either early or late December, which is many months from now. So I'm with you. Just tell us what the heck is going on. But I'm telling you, my understanding is there is reluctance because Carl has said, I don't want it out there. All right. Carl doesn't want it out there. He, I'm telling you, Phil, he is running that organization in so many different ways right now. So the fact that he doesn't want it out there, Gerson certainly isn't going to put it out there. So I, all right, since you brought up, you know, that there could be some meaningless games, I want to I want to just run quickly my theory that I ran by these guys. I've I've got a plan to fix basketball. Not that basketball needs a ton of fixing, but if, if, I have I have a plan to enhance basketball. 
yeah. that I want to run by you. And it, and it helps the Wolves almost every year because they almost never make the playoffs. I think they're going to be okay going forward. But So the NBA is doing this uh, play-in game or potentially two play-in games uh, between the nine seed and the eight seed for this year. And what I would I would do two things, Doogie. I would make the eight nine play in game a regular thing every single year, just like baseball. Let's start the playoffs off with a fun Wolves versus Nuggets like play in to to get that eight seed. So I would do that first. Then I would take I would take the other twelve teams that aren't participating, or whatever the math is, the other teams that aren't participating in uh, in that playoff bracket, and that would be my NBA draft lottery bracket. Whoever wins the NBA NIT equivalent wins the number one overall pick. Your thoughts? Well, I mean, I guess what's the incentive for, let's just take the Wolves, what's the incentive for D'Angelo Russell to play his ass off to ensure that, that his franchise gets the number one overall pick? Now, maybe if he looks at it like, hey, there's a LeBron James-esque talent or a Zion Williamson-esque talent that can help me get to the next level in terms of, you know, getting to the playoffs, advancing in the playoffs, that this guy can help me, okay. But, like, this particular year, I mean, there's no consensus on who the number one pick is. I think if you took a poll of of the eight teams that aren't going to Orlando, I think you would have eight different top fives. That's how wide open this year's draft is. But, yeah, would I like to see something, some sort of incentive, something – you know, in that regard, yeah, you can sell me on that. On the nine versus eight idea, I guess my issue is if you're the eight seed and you have a three or four game lead, like right now, Memphis is three and a half games up on the nine seed. I don't even know who the nine seed is. But Memphis, there's there's some pretty good cushion. Now, of the 67 games they've played, they've played a really easy schedule. So if we played this thing out, the remaining 15 games, normal year, I don't know if Memphis would have would have maintained their position because – they had a really challenging schedule their last 15 games. But I just don't know if that's fair, if there's enough cushion there, that if you're the eighth seed, maybe you're right under the seventh seed. Maybe it's a one-game difference. You're almost the seventh seed. There's a three- or four-game cushion between you and the ninth seed. Should your playoff spot be on the line? Yeah, absolutely. I'm open, I'm open to different ideas. Screw them. Like here's what I'd like to see, Phil. Get rid of the conferences. Like, I don't need the Western and Eastern Conference. I'd love to see a second-round playoff matchup, Milwaukee against the L.A. Clippers, or whatever wow. it might be. Old-school National Hockey League, Dukes. Yeah, That's what they used that. to do. Yeah, so I'm, I'm open-minded. I mean, I guess, Phil, right now, the time is ripe, right, to, to, to push forward change in all these sports if you want, right? So, you know, let's, let's get a little crazy. I'm, I'm completely open-minded to, to some different changes. I just don't know if I love the changes that you are suggesting. Duke, does Dalvin Cook in his camp realize that their leverage right now is at about a minus six? <laughs> like what what well, are they what are they doing? What's the timing? He he can't hold out. He'd be an idiot to hold out. I will advise him for free and tell him, Delvin, if you hold out, it's idiotic. You are costing yourself potentially millions. What the hell are they doing? Well, do I think that he holds out? into mid-August, I don't, right? Because he still wants unrestricted free agency. He's got to show up for day one of camp to do that. Reached. Right. Yeah, well, it's 30 days before the opener, right? So he could sit out the first few days of camp. That's... Camp opens on July 28th. Hey, Dukes. He's got a little window there. Dukes, the CBA, yeah. I went and found it, reads very, very specifically. You have to be there. 
I thought it was 30 days before the open. I was going back. I, I was going back and forth with a buddy of mine a couple nights ago who sent me the language of the CBA, and basically, unless I read this wrong, it is saying you have to be there for the start of training camp. Okay. Well, we're only talking a matter of days there anyway. I mean, it would be like right. August 5th compared to July 28th. How about this? I think the two sides eventually come to an agreement, so I don't think this will be an issue on July 28th. I think, like, going back to December and January, uh-huh. when I joined you guys in studio, I had told you guys then, pre-pandemic, that Dalvin and his camp were thinking about the Ezekiel Elliott contract. I will tell you now that they have recalibrated. They realize they are not getting that money, let alone Christian McCaffrey money, that they're okay taking less. They don't need Ezekiel Elliott money. They're, they're was, going to get the Chuck Foreman contract at the rate they're going, well, circa 1975. <laughs> <laughs> I do know that he would sign today if they offered the David Johnson contract, three years, $39 million. Now, do I think the Vikings offer that? No, I don't. I think they eventually meet in the middle. I was told the offer the Vikings made was less annually than what Melvin Gordon got in Denver. He signed a two-year $16 million deal. But the Vikings, it wasn't significantly less, but the Vikings' initial offer was on an annual basis less than that. I think the two sides eventually meet in the middle at something like $10 million a year, $10.5 million a year. Incentives built in, clearly games played would be a big incentive. I think the deal eventually gets done. Now, why, you know, why his side wanted to leak that info to Schefter the other day, I have no idea. It's not like they're in Egan. I mean, it's virtual meetings. Like, who? Just do them, right? Like, just you can feign interest through your computer screen. Heck, put, you know, turn off your internet. Put a picture of yourself up. Internet issue. Dalvin, is that you? Yes. Exactly. Like, so why, why come out with what they did? I know I they're know. pissed because the Vikings' initial offer was so darn low in their minds. But I just think it's so early. Like, it's June 11th. You've got seven weeks or so to figure this thing out. I'm it's just weird. telling you, my sense is the two sides eventually come back together, talks pick up, and they come to a happy medium. I'm right. just telling you, that's, that's how I see this thing playing out. That is Darren Doogie Wolfson. You can find him 5 Eyewitness News Sports, KSTP.com, and also the Scoop Podcast every week on Apple, Spotify, and ScoreNorth.com. We'll do it again next week, Doogie. Appreciate it, Phil. Stay safe. All right, see you, buddy. All right, Aaron Doogie Wolfson. I've got the National Football League's new CBA right here. Article 8, item B. A player shall not receive an accrued season for any league year in which the player is under contract to a club in which he failed to report to the club's preseason training camp on that player's uh, mandatory reporting date. you got to be there on day one. Do we know what the Vikings' reporting date is? They usually don't send that They haven't announced it yet, but it's usually very late July. Yeah. But nonetheless, that means he doesn't have any... He's got to be there on day one, and if he's not, so could he show it's up, foolish. Could he show up for day one and then skip the no, rest of it? No, because because I, I believe after that it becomes if you skip something like five days, you then forfeit it again. So you could you could show up, you could skip four days, Let me see. to send a message and then come back. Otherwise, yeah, you, but the team's just going to say, "Okay, dude, cool." So why did the players agree to that? Is that kind of weird? Do you want to get into a discussion about what I these guys don't. agree I... to when Aaron Rodgers and J.J. <laughs> Watt and Russell Wilson all were like, don't do this. And they're all, oh, you could say that because you're rich. We're not. You are forfeiting. If you are a rookie contract guy now, okay, Phil, and you're going into your second contract, you now have lost any 
leverage that you once had. Any. Yeah. It's all gone. You have no. So now, so now your rookie contract is slotted, which, by the way, I'm fine with. But it's slotted so that the days of I'm going to hold out for more are over. Okay, that's cool because I'm going to make all my money on my second contract. You forfeited that. It's idiotic. Any, As I told our buddy on the old show, Jerome Felton, why do you pay union dues? <laughs> Just quit the union. It does nothing for you. You are flushing your money down the toilet. At least baseball, as much as we might disagree, the Major League Baseball Players Association, as far as the players are concerned, does right by them or tries to do right. Right. Right? Football, just keep your money. Don't give it to these yahoos who are selling you out. And, in fact, your own constituents are selling you out at every turn, including Dalvin Cook. If I was Dalvin Cook, I would. And if he voted for this yes, I don't know what to make of it. Yeah, I actually have breaking breaking news to end the show here. You guys want it. <laughs> Field Yates. Field Yates is the one that now I don't know if if, if he's the one that's breaking say, this, but he's did you the say one. Field Yates. I thought it was gonna be NHL news. It's it's no, not NHL news. That's, that's not that that important. But it's also not football news. Okay, this is what Field Yates tweeted. Okay, so so we have. I'm 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 trying to look here at my list of leagues that have figured out a way to come back mm-hmm. before baseball. Right, baseball just can't get its bleep together. Yep, they're in a pissing match, back and forth, billionaires and millionaires, and not all millionaires, but. A lot of rich people pissing back and forth, right? Yep. So the NBA has announced a plan to come back. Major League Soccer has announced a plan to come back. PGA is coming back. Today. Today. Uh, boxing is back. UFC is back. Like, I'm probably missing a couple. And now you can add the basketball tournament. What? The basketball tournament is back July 4th through the 14th with a million dollars up for grabs. ESPN is going to air uh, all 23 games of the basketball tournament with the, I believe it's called the Elam ending where they, where you play. It's actually sort of cool. It's amazing. It's, not the a, NBA bad, it's a good idea too. So they'll do a, they'll do a little 10 day tournament leading up to the middle of July and the NBA comes back on July 31st. And so the basketball tournament, we've sat here for two months and said, baseball, listen, you got, you got some time here, but if you can come back for July 4th, that'd be great. You can come back, yep. you can own the month of July. Yep. And uh, the basketball tournament has said, actually, you know, we're going to own the 4th of July. We're going to come in here and we're going to do this thing. Yeah, all of those players who got cut from the the G League. How is Field Yates um, breaking this or tweeting it? It's because ESPN ESPN will be airing all 23 games of the basketball tournament. So that's how it is. Uh, We'll get to uh, CBS doing a confessional cam and some different fun ideas. We can get to that maybe on tomorrow's show, which will also include Action Movie Rewind. Wanted. Declan has chosen a non-mainstream movie to pump out into Action Movie Rewind. A mainstream movie. I mean, it is. It's a modern mainstream movie. It's actually the. It's the opposite of what you said it is. Let's wait till we get to it. Okay, modern mainstream movie. <laughs> let's let's wait for tomorrow. Action Movie Rewind tomorrow on Mackie and Judd. Thanks for listening. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.